Hebrews chapter 12. I want to preach a message entitled, Our God is a Consuming Fire. Our God is a Consuming Fire. Hebrews chapter 12, and actually I'm going to back up and start reading. We're going to read starting at verse 25. Verse 25, down through to verse 29. The Bible says this, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Notice that. Last, that last phrase, verse 29, for our God is... A consuming fire. We know the effects. We know the power that there is in fire. The very smallest of flames can hurt you. It doesn't, you know, you, you, I don't, you, a birthday candle. You light a birthday candle and you stick your hand right above that flame. Sooner or later, that flame is going to hurt you. Fire can rage from the very smallest to the very largest. We know what effects fire has had especially in the western uh, states where it tends to get so dry and so arid. There, we have seen news reports in recent years about the fires, the wildfires that spread through California and just destroys forests, destroys homes. And the effects of a fire is so devastating and so powerful. And yet the Bible says about God that he is a consuming fire. Now, what kind of application is that, does that have to us today? How can you and I look at that and say, well, what, is, what does that mean to me? And how is it that that will apply to my life? And there are three basic ways that I believe it will apply to our lives. And those three basic ways we have a choice in. You can choose how it is that God will be a consuming fire in your life. It's very important that we get a hold of this because we need to understand that God absolutely is a consuming fire and He desires to be that consuming fire in our lives in a way where we are yielded to Him as opposed to not being yielded. What do we mean by this? Very simply this. The first thing that we need to recognize is this. If you decide to go in your own direction, you decide to do your own thing, 
You decide in your heart that you don't want to follow God. You don't want to follow the Lord. And you think that somehow you can escape. You need to know this, that he will one day consume you in the fire of his judgment. That needs to be known. This is not a particular truth that many churches are preaching and teaching these days. And certainly I'm not the only one. I don't, I don't think that at all. There are a number of churches that do, but there are churches that are trying to avoid the whole topic of sin, the whole topic of judgment, because it doesn't make people feel good. It makes people somehow, when you begin to talk about it, be uncomfortable. But it's like what one preacher once said. He said, I came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And every now and then, we have to be afflicted in our comfort. Because our comfort zones are those places where we begin to make wrong choices and choices for the world and choices to feed our flesh, choices to go into sin and say, you know what, I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. And you know what, nobody is going to tell me any different. You need to know today that if you have made that choice, you need to understand this one thing. I might not be the one who can turn things around for you, but one day God will in fact consume you in the fire of his judgment that's a basic truth of scripture it's one of those things that many times we think well if I go to church then everything is going to be okay going to church does not change things going to church does not change your eternal destiny the only thing that will change where you are headed for eternity is a decision that you make for Jesus Christ to serve him with all your heart and turn your back on the world. Listen, the world may hand you some fun every now and then, but it cannot hand you eternal life. The only one who can ever do that is God. And he has made every provision for you. You need to know this too before we get into anything else. You need to know that he has made every provision for you to escape that kind of a judgment. He has made every, every possible way for you to get out. So often you hear the, 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 the question, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, a loving God, if in fact he is a loving God, he will make a way of escape. The question is, do you want to accept the way of escape on his terms or are you trying to figure it all out by yourself and make your own way? You can't tell God how it is you're going to get into his heaven. Not possible, folks. The only way to get into his heaven, his paradise, is on His terms, not yours, not mine. We can't make it up as we go along. And that's what modern philosophy has done. It said you can just, you know, what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. I'm reading an excellent book and kind of getting into it. It's entitled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And that particular book is letting me know, once again, something I already knew, but, but refreshing my heart and my memory is that there are not two truths in the world. There cannot be. There is only one truth, one absolute truth. And the word of God presents to us absolute truth. 
We either accept it or we reject it. And in fact, in the context of this scripture, this, this word lets us know that we cannot and should not refuse him who speaks from heaven, that is Christ. The whole idea of the book of Hebrews in the context, the, the writer of Hebrews is, is essentially warning against, uh, a warning against rejecting the Son of God. You begin at the very beginning of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible lets us know that in, the, in, the, in past times, God spoke through his prophets. He spoke through those who came before. But it says, now in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. And that is, he is elevating the Son, Jesus Christ, to a place of prominence, a place of preeminence, and a place where we must listen to what it is that he has to say. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like when we sell out to the world? What does it look like? Well, the Bible gives us a couple of examples, but one I want to mention, a number of of examples can, I'm sure, come to mind, but one of them is a man by the name of Esau. We remember who Esau was. Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. Esau was the firstborn of the twin brothers. And, and the Bible lets us know through, in, in the book of Genesis, lets us know how it was that Jacob, with the, you know, his, his very crafty mother, was able to fool his aging father. And steal the birthright. But before that, before he was able to steal the birthright, the birthright had been given up. The blessing had been despised by Esau. We remember the story, and let me just recount it a little bit. Esau was out in the field hunting. He was a hunter. He was a man of the field. He was one of those rough and tough kind of guys. And he was out in the field, and he came in one day. He had been hunting all day. He was famished, had no food. He was so hungry, and Jacob was there making his lentil stew, his, his bean soup, as it were. And he comes in and says, oh, give me some of that soup, Jacob. I, I need some of that, please. I'm starving to death. If, if I don't have that, I'm going to die. The biggest exaggeration in the world. I'm going to die if I don't eat that. Jacob, very wisely, says, wait a minute, before I give you my food, give me your birthright. What is that to me? I'm about to die anyway. He's about to die of hunger. He's asking for food. He gives up the birthright, and then he eats it, and then he lives. He gave up something of such great and intense value. He gave up something of such importance. Listen to how Hebrews describes the character of this man. We don't get clued into it in the book of Genesis, but we do get clued into a little bit more about the character of this man Esau. Listen to how the Bible describes Esau in verse 16, back up into chapter 12, verse 16 of the book of Hebrews. The Bible says this, verses 16 and 17, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. We could stop and talk about the sexually immoral, but that's for another day. But godless like Esau. Notice that. Esau, nowhere in his mind, nowhere in his thinking was there ever the idea that there was something bigger than he was. 
Brothers and sisters, there are many people, and sad to say, they sit in pews each and every Sunday who are as godless as the guy out on the street, partying it up, doing his own thing, living his own way, but there is a godlessness that comes into their lives. They're living away from the Lord, even though they're walking into a church, sitting in a pew, and everything appears to be fine. There is godlessness. The Bible says, see to it that no one is godless like Esau, who for a single meal, one meal, sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. He gave up something of such great value because he reduced it in his own mind that that was not a thing of value. There are people in this world and people in churches every day who are reducing the value of that which is eternal and trading it for that which is temporary. He sold out for a bowl of soup, brothers and sisters, and there are people today who are selling out to the world for a bowl of nothing. A bowl of garbage. The world hands you a big pile of nothing and you sit there and say, this is what life is all about. No, it's not. I, you need to know if you're selling out, you are in danger of God being the consuming fire in your life, the fire of judgment. Verse 17 says about him afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his, this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change. Notice that he could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. He, he, he went after it. Jacob deceived. Jacob deceived his father. He got the blessing, the birthright. And all of a sudden, after Jacob had, had blessed his, or after, after Isaac had blessed his son Jacob, now Esau comes in and Esau is saying, all right, dad, I'm here for the blessing. He said, wait a minute, I just gave the blessing to your brother. I, I don't have that for you. That which was, was of intense value is not yours anymore. That which caused you to be first is not yours anymore. That which causes you to be a great man and a great leader of a great nation one day, that is gone. It's not yours. You see, the world will tell you, if you want to be great, you follow our system. But their system rejects God. Their, their system is against God. Their worldview is that which puts God down. And God says, I've got a blessing for you. I've got a birthright for you. I've got an inheritance for you. And listen, you might not get the inheritance in this life, but you need to know that there will come a day where we will stand before God. And in that day, brothers and sisters, are you going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? Jacob Esau sold out. It brought shame. It brought loss. The fire of God consumed Esau in judgment so that it, his poor choice brought reproach on his name forever. Imagine, Esau is one of those guys that even in the New Testament he is discussed. He's talked about. We often talk about Abraham, we talk about Isaac and Jacob and all of those other guys and Moses and Hebrews 11. He had discussed those individuals in great length. But here he has to warn, don't be like Esau. Don't be like the guy who sold out to the world and, and traded that which was eternal for that which was temporary. Don't, don't sell out for those things that never satisfy, but instead give your all to him. The Bible lets us know 
that if we reject the one who speaks, we are in danger. Listen to what verse 25, we read verse 25, let's read it again. Verse 25 of Hebrews 12, it says this, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. I'm not talking about me today. I'm talking about the Lord. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that was Moses and that was at Mount Sinai when in fact God then spoke, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven, that is Christ being sent to us. He has given us a plan of salvation and yet there are those who refuse. In rejecting the one who speaks, you're also rejecting the message he speaks. There are those who say, well, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe he was the son of God. Then you're calling him a liar. You are essentially calling Jesus himself a liar because he professed to be the son of the living God. So if you can say, well, other religions, they don't accept Jesus as savior. They say he lived uh, in some cases, Islam says Jesus never, never died or never died on the cross. He was a good man who lived and that's it. But he wasn't crucified. They reject what the Bible says about him. They're, either the Bible is false or the Quran is false. One or the other. Now we, it's, it's document. Archaeologists have, have, have documented this and they have come to the place where his tomb was, the place where he was crucified. It's believed by, by, by so many who are outside of the church that Jesus lived and he was in fact crucified. And yet there is this idea that we can sort of accept him but then reject his message. You can't. You can't. You have to take it and say, Lord, I'm going to receive what it is that you have for me. And, and listen, you, you need to know this today. He has spoken from heaven. He has spoken through his son and given us a message of hope, a message of eternal life, and yet it's amazing how many people will reject it. I encourage you today, if you are in this building and you recognize today that you have rejected him who speaks from heaven, I encourage you today, stop where you are. Leave the place where you're at and say, today I need to give him my all. Take a moment. And you say, well, i got to wait until you give an altar. No, you don't. You absolutely do not. I Listen, I remember growing up in, in church, there were times in the middle of a message, I would see people get up from their pews and go to the altar because they needed Jesus. They knew they needed Christ. Listen, if you know, you know you have rejected the one who has spoken from heaven, don't wait. Give him your all. Give him your best and say, today, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I don't want to be consumed in the fire of your judgment, but I want to give you my all. You say, well, that's not going to happen in my lifetime. It's not about it happening in your lifetime. It's about it happening on that great day when we stand before him. It will happen, folks. It's a day that is coming. You need to know that. You need to be aware that there are none who will escape the fire of his judgment if you have rejected the message of the gospel. And listen, the gospel is still good news. It's still good news. 
That's what it means. The message of the gospel is a message of hope. Say, I don't like to hear about judgment. That just, that, that scares me. Listen, you, we're not here to scare anybody. But if, if, if we scare you from going to hell, then all the better. Why not? Why not get you into heaven? Let's get everybody that we can possibly get. The Bible says in the book of Jude of some saving with fear. Sometimes you do have to be scared out of the life that you've chosen. But you need to know there's hope. The gospel is your way out. You can accept him who has spoken from heaven and you can accept his message and you can know beyond any doubt in your mind that this first area of of God being a consuming fire is not going to be a part of your, your life and your existence and your eternal destiny. The next thing that I want you to notice is this about our God being a consuming fire is if there are things in your life that shouldn't be there, He will consume them if you willingly give your all to Him. If you willingly yield those things over to Him, He'll consume those things. Listen, turn over in your Bibles, if you would, to Malachi. The book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament Right before you get to the book of Matthew, the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 2, 3, and 4. The Bible says this. It says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. Notice those words, refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. We know what soap does. We know what laundry is. We don't like it. But we thank God for that launderer's soap, don't we? He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, those leaders, and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. Now this lets us know that God is a consuming fire, but there are things that he wants to consume so that you last. Picture yourself as this gold. Let's imagine for a moment that we have a precious metal, and I have only ever seen it, not in person, but on on television you see from time to time a documentary of somebody, a goldsmith, who will heat up that precious metal. And they heat it up so much, the heat is turned way up high so that every impurity that is in that precious metal comes to the surface. And then they take a skimmer and they skim all the junk that you would never have imagined would be possessed in that precious metal but was in there. And they heat it up more and more junk comes to the top. And they skim it off again. Until finally that gold is so pure and that gold and that silver, whatever it is, 
no longer has those impurities on the inside. No, those things were hidden from view. Nobody could tell it was there. But the, that, that smith, that goldsmith or silversmith knew exactly what he needed to do to make that gold stronger, to make that silver stronger, and to make it more precious and more beautiful and of more worth and more value. You need to know today that there are things that oftentimes we allow into our lives as Christians that God does not want to exist in your life. There are ways that we begin to think and things that we begin to talk about and things we begin to say and, and places we begin to go or, or somehow we allow certain things into our lives that as a Christian don't look like Jesus. But as we yield to him, as we say, Lord, you've got to purify me. You've got to refine me. The Bible says that he will be a refiner's fire in your life so that when you come to him and you give your gifts to him, you offer to him what it is that he asks, then it will be of value to you and value to him there is the, what is the jesus says it one of the things that that seems to be throughout the new testament from place to place but jesus said it so well when it comes to our dealings with other people he says if you've got somebody against something against somebody then here's what you need to to do you need to go and make it right and then come back and offer your your gift on the altar he says, don't come to the altar when you've got a bad attitude. Say, oh God, pour out revival. And Jesus has already shown you how to start it. He's already shown you how that revival can begin to take place. It is when we begin to put aside some of the things in our lives that shouldn't be there. And we say, Lord, consume it. Consume it in your fire. Begin to burn it up. Take care of those things in my life that shouldn't be there. And we need to be like the psalmist who said, Lord, search me. Know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, come and drill down to the deepest places of my heart. Lord, let the word of God cut like a knife in my heart and cause me to be what you want me to be. Is anybody hearing me today? He will be like a refiner's fire. Remember the three Hebrew boys when they went into the fiery furnace? What happened to them? This is what a wonderful picture of how God burns away that which doesn't need to be there, that which shouldn't be there, but preserves the individual. See, God is not out to, to judge in such a way that will harm you, that will bring you down, that will discourage you and cause you to feel like, you know, that's the end, forget it, I'm not going to serve the Lord. No, the refiner's fire is for a purpose, and it is to purify you and cause you to be a man or a woman of God that he wants you to be. When those three Hebrew boys were thrown into the fiery furnace, the Bible lets us know that the, the, the ropes that bound them were consumed but they were not you see those guys were made of the right stuff you you have a desire to serve the lord with all your heart you're made of the right stuff yes there are times we give in to the flesh we we give in to the to the the things that come our way the attitudes of the world that come our way but we need to get back into the presence of the lord and say lord let your consuming fire come and purify me get rid of the stuff in my life that shouldn't be there and help me to be effective for the kingdom of god so what is it that needs to be burned up? Well, there are things you allow in from the world that rob you of your spiritual fire. It could be that you've lost the fire of God. That, 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 
that fire that causes you to say, Lord, I, I care more about you than anything else in this world. It could be that there are things that have entered in that rob you of that. It could be that there are sins that so easily entangle you. There might be habits that you haven't been able to break, but you know you need to break them. You know that they need to be broken. I'm here to let you know today that the delivering hand of Almighty God is greater than that habit. It is greater than that thing that you've given into and that thing that has controlled your life for so long. You need to know the power of God is greater. If there is anything I know, it is this. God can deliver you, but you've got to say, Lord, deliver me today and purify me. There is one final thing that I want you to see, and it is this. If the fire in your life is about to die out, he is ever so willing to come down and consume your spirit and bring life to you once again. You remember how it was that the writer John, and actually it was really Jesus who was speaking to the seven churches spoke to the last church that we read about, the, the church of Laodicea. And how it was, what it was that he brought against them. In fact, it was the one church where he had something against, but there was nothing good that could be said about them. They had gone essentially off the deep end. But you know what the main thing was? We know what it was, I think, most of us. The church of Laodicea, he said, you are lukewarm you're not cold you're not hot i'm one of those iced coffee drinkers i drink iced coffee all through the year it can be zero outside i don't want hot stuff i want the cold stuff i used to drink hot coffee but a long time ago in in rhode island when i was i was at bible college on staff all of a sudden dunkin donuts started selling iced coffee and from that point on that was it for me. Iced coffee was my thing. In fact, when we moved to the Midwest and we came out here, we had a hard time finding a Dunkin' Donuts that sold iced coffee. Hadn't quite made its way to the middle of the nation yet. Iced coffee was not around at my favorite spot, Dunkin' Donuts. I should be getting paid for this, by the way, by Dunkin's. <laughs> They're paying me nothing to mention their name. Um, I like it cold. My father used to sit down at the table, and if his was not piping hot to the point where it would burn the normal man's lips, he didn't want it. He said, I want my coffee so hot that no man can drink it. I remember him saying that. But the thing I hate, and the thing he hated too, was when that coffee got to sort of like room temperature. And you took a drink of that. Now, some of you might be able to handle that, and that's fine. Good for you. But me, no thank you. And I can tolerate hot coffee, but I like it cold. But when it gets to that lukewarm temperature, ugh, it doesn't taste good, to me at least. And to many people, you drink a glass of water. This water is, is not quite room temperature, but this is good. It's good for my throat to have it a little warm. But there's nothing refreshing about warm, warm water. If this, we were to let this sit outside for a while, you were to give this to me. I didn't. I, I don't want it. It's not going to taste good because it is lukewarm. 
It's not refreshing. It doesn't do anything for you on a hot day. It's not even on a cold day. It's not good on a hot day. It's not good. It's just wet. And that's often how our lives are. It's just sort of there. Just sort of lukewarmish. God is not interested in, in blessing that which is lukewarm. He doesn't do that. In fact, he speaks out against that which is lukewarm. He said, I would rather you be cold or hot. There's more hope for you if you're cold. And certainly if you're hot, putting it in the idea of the, you know, the fire of God being in us, wonderful if you're hot. But if you're lukewarm, he says, you think you've got it going on, but you don't. You think you're in the place you ought to be, but you're not. You've got a form of godliness, but you're denying the great power that can be yours, the power to have an effect on the kingdom of God in such a way that will set people free. Brothers and sisters, God desires for each and every one of us that we would be on fire for him. He desires for your life and for my life that we would have a greater desire to get closer to God. He can do that for you. If you will say, Lord, consume me with the fire and let my spirit burn for you. He wants us to get so close to him that the world will begin to look like what it really is. See, the, the devil paints a, a beautiful picture of what the world is like and what the world is and all of that. And we fall for that lie sometimes. But really what God wants us to do is get so close to him that we see his beauty. That we see how wonderful he is. That we see what it is that he has done for us. He desires to have us get closer to him. When he sets our spirit ablaze again, here's what's going to happen. He will give us a greater desire to get closer to him. He will give us that desire to be with him. Not only that, he will give us a greater fervency to serve him. A greater fervency to do things for him and to see his kingdom advanced in this world. Brothers and sisters, God desires his name to be lifted up and to be glorified in the midst of a world that is trying to put his name down and squash it out. He desires those who would stand and be counted and be bold for him and not back down when the world says, boo. The world says, I don't like that. That offends me. You know, it's an amazing thing how we back off as soon as, ah, I'm offended. You know, Jesus spoke in such a way, the Bible says, that many turned away who were following him and turned and followed him no more. And you know what he did to the 12, those guys he had handpicked? He said, fellas, you're going to go too? He didn't say, well, you know what, why don't you just go apologize for me, what I said. I, I, you know, I'm not sure I really, you know, I didn't, want, I didn't mean to be harsh. I didn't mean to, you know, really offend anybody. No, brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, we have got to serve him with all of our heart and not apologize for being a believer in Jesus Christ, somebody who came to this earth and died on the cross so that man might go free from sin and might be set free and have eternal life. Who else has done that in history? Who else has showed up and split time in two and said, I'm going to be the one who will stand in the gap? There's nobody else like Jesus. The fire of God will give us a renewed burden for the lost. The lost in your neighborhood. The lost around us. The lost 
in those workplaces that you go to, the lost in your family, those who are far from God that somehow over the years we might just sort of resign ourselves to the fact, well, that they've made their choice. You know what? As long as they have breath, as long as they have breath, we've got to have that burden beating within us. You say, I don't know if I can carry that load. Oh, yes, you can. I know you can. Because he carried that load for us. And we, through his help, we can carry that, that burden that beats within us. That there are those who are lost and need to come into the kingdom of God. They need to know Jesus Christ as Savior. When we are on fire for the Lord, we will worry about those who don't know Jesus. We will be concerned about those who don't know the Lord. Some of us, we have our heads stuck so far in the sand in our own little worlds that we can't even begin to think about what the what's going on in the world listen there are people who are lost they're dying they're on their way to hell and what do we care about it we've got to be consumed by the fire of god that would say you know what we begin to we need to begin to start thinking about those who are on their way to hell if we really believe that there is a hell what are we going to do about it You say, well, it's got to be some organized thing in the church. Listen, if we start to wait for organized things in the church, God help us if we wait for the next event. God help us if we wait for the next outreach. And I mean that not in our own local sense, but also throughout the world. If you wait for event to event, you're not evangelizing the way that God wants you to. You see, God chose 12 disciples. He chose those who would go out into the world. He didn't choose the 12 and said, now listen, what I want you to do is I want you to get together in Jerusalem, guys, and I want you to have this great outreach in Jerusalem. If you, listen, folks, if we're waiting for an outreach to do something, we're missing why God laid his hand on us as individuals. We're missing the point. God has called you as an individual to have an effect on the, on, on the world around you. Whatever we do in the church, whatever we we have in the church and to reach out to those around us, great. But don't wait for those things. You be a light to the world where you are. Jesus spoke that to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. Be the light of the world. We need to be the light of the world. Listen, we need his consuming fire. I don't want the consuming fire of the first area that we talked about. I don't want the judgment of God upon my life because I've chosen the world. Because I've chosen to do my own thing. I've chosen to go my own way. I don't, I don't want that to come. But I want his consuming fire to come and to begin to burn out those things in my life that shouldn't be there. Those things in my life that don't need to be there. That don't look like Jesus. It's like the sculptor one day encountered somebody who was clearly not an artist and not a sculptor. And the sculptor was chipping away and the guy walked up to him and said, listen, what you, I'm just curious, what are you making? The guy said, well, you know, I'm going to sculpt an elephant. Big, massive, massive stone in front of him. He said, I'm going to sculpt an elephant. That's really cool, he said. The guy said, he said, but I'm just curious, you know, how do you do that? <laughs> and the sculptor, being sort of a wise guy, but very true to form, said, well, I just chip away everything that doesn't look like an elephant. You know, God wants to chip away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. He wants to eliminate everything that doesn't look like him. He wants to get rid of that in our lives that does not look 
like him. Because in the end, what the world needs is the world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And we've got to be on fire for him. And we've got to allow the fire of God to consume those things in our lives that don't look like Jesus so that then we can have the fire of God burning within us. And I close with this. It is like what Jeremiah spoke was on the inside of him. He said it was like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones, he said. They tried to shut me up. They tried to keep the word of God in me. He said, but you know what? I couldn't. I couldn't because because this word came alive and it was alive to me. And it was like a fire shut up on my bones. And he said, I couldn't hold it in. I had to proclaim it. Maybe it is that we've so suppressed the word of God, we've got to pray, Lord, God, come and let the fire of God burn within us. I want us to stand together, and I want everyone in this building to make your way to this altar right now. Just come. Just come right now. Just come to this altar. Just begin to pray.